Likewise, we read in Genesis 2 and verse 15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden to cultivate it and to keep it. Work is inherently good because it is commanded by a good God. Work is good also because of the many benefits that it provides for us and through us for others. In addition, work is good because it enables us to use our time productively. Work has another benefit since it prevents the sin of idleness that opens the door to many other sins, as we shall see. And we should regard work as good because it better enables us to serve our neighbor. But I hear you ask, doesn't God's curse make work a hopeless drudgery, something to be endured but not to be enjoyed? Well, the curse, true enough, has made work more difficult. It has injected a sense of futility into our labors. We work now, we gain our bread by the sweat of our brow. But brethren, the curse does not make bad that which God has made good. Work is still good after the fall, even though it is not as easy or as productive as it was before our first parents sinned. Nevertheless, honest labor under the curse remains a blessing from God. If work was evil, God never would have included work as the backdrop of the fourth commandment. Remember how the Sabbath command begins. Deuteronomy 5 and verse 13. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Work is good because it is the means by which God supplies our material needs. Proverbs 12 and verse 11. He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who pursues vain things lacks sense. And men who give no thought to God at all still enjoy from God's generous hand through common grace a sense of accomplishment in their work. Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 24. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. And he's not telling himself a lie. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. Psalm 128 and verse 2. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. You see, these texts teach us that employment brings enjoyment. Even our hunger is good. Because it goads us to labor to provide our daily bread. Proverbs 16 and verse 26. A worker's appetite works for him, for his hunger urges him on. Finally, diligence in a vocation provides a worker opportunity for advancement. Proverbs 10 and verse 4. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And again, Proverbs 12 and verse 24. 
The hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be put to forced labor. But we don't enjoy our work as we should because sin makes us lazy. Laziness is evil, first of all, because it perverts God's image in us as created in the image of an active, productive God. Laziness is also destructive. Laziness harms the idle man and those who depend upon him. But you may retort, it's not laziness, but overwork that harms people. Isn't that true? Well, yes, it may, and sometimes it does. But I would also reply that if overwork has killed its thousands, laziness has killed its ten thousands. A whole culture has been built around laziness. The debilitating effect of the entitlement mentality so prevalent in our day is plain proof of this point. Laziness weakens the workforce and saps the vitality and robs the productivity from any culture. It should come as no surprise that the lazy find no support in the Bible. Instead, the good book sharply reproves the idle while promising blessing to the diligent. Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, presents a particularly detailed and painfully humorous portrait of the lazy man whom the wise king styles a sluggard. His description and reproof of the sluggard sounds an urgent message for us all because every person in this room was born with a laziness gene. So this morning we're going to begin to look at a sluggard's portrait. And we're only going to consider his description today. We're going to look at his excuses and his troubles and the counsel that should be given to him next time, God willing. So let's look at a description of the sluggard. One man in his paper entitled Traits That Define Lazy People observes that laziness can be called one of the scourges of the modern world. Though often seen simply as a forgivable weakness, it can have a number of negative effects on a person. In terms of these consequences, it should be mentioned that laziness often leads to the worsening of one's relationships at work and decreased work performance, which can result into job loss, excessive stress, and psychic disturbance. And I suggest a whole host of other evils. Solomon introduces this sluggard with a few pointed questions and telling observations about the sluggard that paint for us an accurate portrait of him. I'm just going to read these texts and not spend a lot of time commenting on them. We'll look at them, God willing, in a little more detail in the future. How long, Proverbs 6 and verse 9, How long will you lie down, O sluggard? Excuse me, wake up. How long will you lie down? When will you arise from your sleep? He takes him by the shoulder and says, Wake up! 
Proverbs 13 and verse 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. 15.19. The way of the sluggard is as a hedge of thorns everywhere he turns, every which direction. He can't seem to move forward. But the path of the upright is a highway. 21.25. The desire of the sluggard puts him to death. Why? For his hands refuse to work. Proverbs 24, verses 30 and 31. I passed by the field of the sluggard, and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. I would just say right here, a sluggard is a man that lacks sense. You see the parallelism. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall broken down. And I had to look in my backyard and say, whoa, this, is, this, this refers to me in many respects. If you were to look at, no, I don't want you to look at my backyard. But if you did, you would see what I mean. Well, what is a sluggard? A simple def definition of a sluggard is that he is a chronically lazy person. He's not someone who, for legitimate medical or unusual providential reasons, cannot work. He is a person who chooses not to work or to work with a slack hand. Because the world winks at, jokes about, and even commends laziness, it is crucial that we understand that laziness is not simply a character weakness. It is a moral evil in the eyes of God. Proverbs 18 and verse 9. He also who is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. According to the inspired king, a slacker is kin to a destroyer. One who refuses to work is a brother to the one who ruins. The sluggard fails to get what he could by honest labor, the destroyer by wasting wealth. And both end up poor. At the very least, a lazy person is guilty of sins of omission, not doing what God commands. The sluggard sins against the Lord by disobeying his command to work or to work diligently. He also sins against himself by refusing to do what is for his own good and happiness. And further, he sins against others, if for no other reason than by setting a wicked example before them, but also undermining any good that he might do for them. Increasingly, it seems that the U.S. government is committed to making Americans into a nation of government-dependent sluggards. Business bailouts and personal support checks have the evil effect of de-incentivizing labor and subsidizing laziness. The laziness gene within us argues, why work when the government pays me to stay home? Caesar seems bent on creating a generation of impotent, dependent drones who hang on the government's teeth. The effect is that our dignity as image bearers of an active God is severely distorted 
when laziness is rewarded over diligence. How many today who do work seem to live by the motto, well, I'm going to do just enough to keep my job? Fewer and fewer are those that regard hard work as a high calling, who seek to please not just their employer, but the God whom they represent in the workplace. I ask, in our apathetic generation, does anyone believe that it would be better to work at just about any kind of job rather than to stay home and sit on our lazy duff? A number of people would say, you're crazy. Why would you work when the government gives you money? I ask you, friend, do you have a conscience? Do you desire to live out a calling that God has given to make yourself a worthwhile citizen in the community? Fact is, when we give charity to the lazy... Not to the truly needy who can't work, but to able-bodied people who can work. It only gives a license to their laziness. We benefit the needy not by giving them a hand out, but extending them to a hand hand up. Spurgeon describes the evil effect of laziness in very unflattering terms. Laziness, he says, is misery. Stagnant pools breed foul creatures. It is only too true. Idleness is the devil's workshop. Well does one man observe laziness then, however cool and laid back it may seem, is big league mayhem. It saps a society of its will to achieve, undermines the values of the young, makes it dependent on outside resources, and abdicates the divinely assigned role of co-regency in the stewardship of creation. Well, let us for the remainder of our time ponder Solomon's telling description of the sluggard. Notice with me five characteristics of a sluggard. All of these things will be more or less true of the slothful man. First of all, the sluggard is notoriously lazy. Solomon doesn't mince his words, nor does he decriminalize the sin of the lazy person with euphemisms. He doesn't call him an energy conservationist or a victim of work aversion syndrome. The word he chose is sluggard. Sluggard may be an onomatopoeia word. It sounds like what it describes, like bees that buzz. A sluggard, I don't know if they have slugs in Minnesota. Out west, we have slugs, and they go along the ground, and they're very, very slow. They don't do anything but eat the shrubbery and grass. In addition, he illustrates the laziness of the sluggard to highlight his folly. This he does by asking him pointed questions that expose the absurdity of his slothfulness. Proverbs 6, verses 9 and 10. 
How long will you lie down, O sluggard? Wake up, get up, get going. When? You haven't yet, but when will you arise from your sleep? Haven't you got enough winks to, re to recharge your batteries? The sluggard's motto is this. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. He says, I'm not overdoing it as I lay on the bed. It's just a little sleep. It's just a little slumber. It's just a little folding of the hands to rest. I know he gets all worked up about it, he says. Chapter 26 and verse 14. Oh, this is quite a picture. As a door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. He says, you know, I'm an ambidextrous sleeper. I can sleep on my left side. I can sleep on my right side. And, I, you know, my body's a well-oiled machine in bed. I can go from one side to the other. 1924, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's got food before him and will not even bring it back to his mouth. He's so lazy, he won't even feed himself. Now, of course, this is an exaggeration, but it, it, it proves the point, does it not? He is weary, Proverbs 26, 15, of bringing it to his mouth again. Oh, this eating is just so tiring. Chapter 12 and verse 27. A slothful man does not roast his prey, but the precious possession of a man is diligence. He doesn't roast his prey. He kills it. He might not even clean it, but he eats it. Maybe spitting the feathers out. He just doesn't want to do any work, you see. You see, the sluggard can't seem to muster enough energy to get started in his work or show enough diligence to finish a job once he's started. He's lazy as Ludlam's dog, as the saying goes, that leaned his head against the wall to bark. Imagine that. Dog, he's so lazy, he has to lean his head against the wall to woof, woof. Solomon's portrait of laziness would be comical if it weren't so true to life. Proof of the sluggard's laziness is plain to see. Look at his life. Unfinished projects, neglected maintenance, needed repairs. All these things testify against him. Proverbs 24, verses 30 and 31. Again, I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. Behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. I mean, doesn't he have a shed? Doesn't he have a hoe and a rake? Maybe a hatchet or a machete? Well, if he does, they're all rusty. Its surface was covered with nettles. Well, that's a picture of the curse. I don't know if you've ever fallen into stinging nettles. And its stone wall was broken down. The stones had become loose in the mortar, and they'd just fallen away. What is worse, laziness is often found with other sins. It keeps company with other sins of indulgence. Overeating and drunkenness, as well as brutality, are not uncommonly united with laziness. 
The guy doesn't work. He stays home. He beats his wife. He throttles his kids. He gets drunk. He just roars around the house. The Cretans of the first century were infamous throughout the Mediterranean world for their sins of intemperance, laziness, gluttony, and drunkenness, and cruelty. Titus 1 and verse 12. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Refusal to exercise self-discipline joined to refusal to exercise vocational diligence makes a person especially susceptible to sins of intemperance, which can lead only to poverty, wasting all the money, drinking, carousing. The wife is in tatters. The children don't have shoes for their feet. Proverbs twenty-three twenty-one. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. It would seem that laziness that was once universally scorned has risen to the level of a national pastime in America. If not regarded as a virtue, at least it isn't regarded as a vice. Take the all-too-common figure of the couch potato. We see him with a TV remote or a Game Boy joystick in one hand and a bag of chips in the other. Oh, he is, he is busy for sure, but his exertions comprise binge-watching TV, movies, or YouTube videos wearying himself, changing channels, or playing video games, or just with extended naps on the couch. Nothing to do, might as well just sleep. To his credit, the sluggard may search internet job sites and attend the occasional employment interview, but there's always a catch for him not taking the job. Or he may work for a while, but he soon quits because he finds work boring or not challenging enough or too menial or too far to drive or that his job might keep him from finding more suitable work. He's got more excuses for not working than ticks on an old coonhound. He's always got a ready excuse for his laziness. But as an old friend often reminds me, that excuses are the lies that we tell ourselves. And what is worse, the sluggard often believes his well-worn lies. He's told them to himself so many times, he, he believes them now. See, sluggards are master liars. It doesn't matter that they don't convince others with their lame excuses, as long as they've convinced themselves. These other people just aren't as smart as I am. What bothers them is that others don't believe them, who chide them for their laziness, and maybe even offer to help them find work. But you see, the sluggard's chief problem, at the basis of it, he's a fool, according to the teaching of the Bible. A fool rejects wise counsel because he sees himself as always right. Proverbs 26, verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. 
These guys don't know what they're talking about. I see things that they don't. So the sluggard is notoriously lazy. Secondly, the sluggard is an accomplished procrastinator. The sluggard is a master excuse maker. If he's employed, his excuse is that he is not, if, he, if he's unemployed, excuse me, his excuse is that he's, he's not ready to go back to work quite yet. Or if he is employed, he assures you that he is content to stay where he is, that he feels no desire at present to advance vocationally. If he's a professing Christian, he may rationalize that by remaining in his position, he's able to minister to others. Never mind that better jobs would provide similar opportunities. Or he may say that he would leave for a better job, but, but his ship just hasn't come in. And for the slugger, the ship never comes. Solomon fills in the portrait of the sluggard's procrastination with memorable and telling illustrations. 26.13, the sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. There's danger out there. I mean, the traffic is thick. The roads are slippery. Something's going to happen. I need to play it safe. If I'm going to work, I have to live to work, and I'm just not ready to go out yet. 22.13, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be slain in the streets. God has given me a life to preserve. I'm not going to put it in danger. That would be to tempt God. You see, the sluggard is a professional opportunity waster. He has a ready reason not to pursue work or to exert himself in his work. You see, his head is fast asleep in the lap of Delilah when he should be putting Philistines to flight. He refuses to make hay while the sun shines, never striking while the iron is hot. He's ever watching providential opportunities pass by him like clouds in the sky. So he eats the evil fruit of his idleness and procrastination, sowing nothing, reaping nothing. Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 6. Sow your seed in the morning. And do not be idle in the evening. For you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. He keeps his options open, but it's never to work. Proverbs 20 and verse 4. The sluggard does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. He's passed up all these opportunities. And when he could have made hay, now he's on the dole. <clears throat> well, even unconverted people know that he who hesitates is lost. How true this is in matters of time and maybe even for the sluggard, matters of eternity. 
Thirdly, the sluggard is arrogant and self-deceived. We shouldn't be surprised at this. The Bible teaches that a fool is proud and self-assured. Chapter 12 and verse 15, Proverbs. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. I don't need counsel. I've got it all figured out. Besides, when I seek counsel, somebody always rains on my parade. 26 verse 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Because the sluggard is wise in his own eyes, he's a fool. He's loath to receive and refuses to seek counsel from others, especially from those who might not agree with him and those who would reprove his laziness. And if the sluggard does get wise counsel, he ends up rejecting it. 26.16 The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. Sadly, there's more hope for a fool than for the sluggard. So the sluggard is notoriously lazy. He's an accomplished procrastinator. He's arrogant and self-deceived. Fourthly, the sluggard is an idle busybody. You know, he's got time on his hands, you see. He's not working. So what's he going to do with himself? I mean, he's got to get off the bed once in a while or turn the TV set off. Well, because he refuses to work, he wastes the time that he does have in frivolous activity. Instead of employing his stewardship of time productively, he meddles in the affairs of others, even making himself a nuisance. Paul addresses professing Christians that quit their jobs, refusing to work only to become idle troublers in the church. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 11. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Going around here and going around there, just chatting and talking and making themselves obnoxious. Idle widows posed a problem in the Ephesian church. Without a husband to care for and children to rear, these widows spent their time in carnal gossip, bringing reproach upon themselves and upsetting the members of the church. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 13. At the same time, they, speaking of these widows, also learned to be idle. They were busy before, now they learned to be idle. As they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. To address this problem, Paul commanded the younger widows among them to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. Brethren, the lesson is plain, is it not? Idleness is the devil's workshop. God intends that his people busy themselves in legitimate occupations. To the sluggardly mooches the troubling that the trouble the Thessalonian church, the apostle gave this stern counsel. No such 
person, now such persons, excuse me, we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our authority comes from Him. This is Him commanding and exhorting through us. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion and eat their own bread, not the bread of others. They work for it, not you. You come over, you eat their bread, you empty their cupboards and their refrigerator. Brethren, fellowship between friends and especially between Christians is sweet, but there can be too much of a good thing especially when it involves interrupting our duty, the duty of others. You see, the sluggard violates a rule of common sense and brings just reproach upon himself. Solomon counsels mooches and other idle persons. Proverbs 25, verse 17. Let your foot rarely be in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. You're spending all your time over there. You're going here and there. You're wearing out your welcome. Employ your hands in legitimate labor. The Apostle Paul was no mooch. Although he could have challenged the churches to support him, he was busy in gospel labors. He wouldn't have been mooching if he'd asked for their help. But he was no mooches in the churches that he founded and served. He could testify with a clear conscience to the Ephesian elders, Acts 20 and verse 34. You yourselves know that, and I suppose he even put his hands up, these hands have ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. He was a tent maker. He supported himself and he supported his fellow gospel laborers. By refusing to be diligent in our God-given vocational responsibilities, we bring reproach upon Christ, sully our Christian testimony, and trouble others, especially the people of God. Fifthly and finally, the sluggard, when he does work, exhibits a shoddy work ethic. A sluggard never makes a good employee. He's like a drone honeybee who gathers neither nectar, nectar nor pollen, and is unable to feed himself without the assistance from worker bees. Drone-like employees displease their boss and prove a drain on their employer, and employees by their laziness, unreliability, poor attitude, slipshod work, and reliance on others to do their job. Well, they have this attitude. It's not in... My contract to do that. Especially you find this in union shops. That guy does it, not me. You're not doing anything. You could be helping out, but you don't lift a hand. You don't tow the bill. Solomon speaks of such. Like vinegar to the teeth. Makes your mouth kind of cringe. And smoke to the eyes. So is the lazy man to those who send him. He's not a helper, he's a troubler. Solomon says of the sluggard employee, he is obnoxious, objectionable, a nuisance, a provocation. 
He who would please his employer must be diligent, quick, and hearty. How unlike King Hezekiah, he sought his God, he worked hard at his service to the Lord, and as a result, he received God's blessing. Second Chronicles 31.21 And every work which he, that is King Hezekiah, began in the service of the house of God, in law and in commandment, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. May each one of us be characterized by Hezekiah-like diligence in serving the Lord in our work, and may we likewise receive the blessing of Him which promises to honor those who honor Him. May we keep ever in mind in our work that it is the Lord Christ that we serve. Well, this is all we have time for this morning in sketching out the portrait of the sluggard. We have to leave him unfinished on the canvas. But next time, God willing, we shall finish our study the paintbrush of Scripture and fill in the details. In the time that remains, let us consider just one brief closing word. Let us examine ourselves honestly by God's word And let us seek by God's grace to humbly repent of all vestiges of sluggardliness in our lives and work. Let us examine ourselves honestly by God's word. And let us seek by God's grace to humbly repent of all vestiges of sluggardliness in our lives and our work. James chapter 1 verses 22 through 25. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. Well, dear ones, let us examine ourselves, not by the standard of the indulgent culture around us, nor by our own self-excusing rule, but by the word of God alone. Let us ask ourselves, do I exhibit any of these marks of a sluggard? What tendencies do I have? If the Lord points out areas of sin and weakness, let us not offer lame excuses, but make positive changes assisted by his grace. Especially let us be slow to identify lazy traits in others while giving ourselves a pass. You see, that is to play the hypocrite and serves only to harden ourselves in our own sin. 
And therefore, let us not be lazy in our, dil- in, our, in our repentance, but be diligent in that too. If the Lord shows you to be lazy, be quick to repent and show fruits of repentance. Proverbs 28 and verse 13. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Let's pray. Our Father, how can we not examine ourselves in the searching light of your word and not have a finger to point back at our own breast and say, I am the man. And so we pray that you would take these things that we have heard, that we wouldn't rest upon conviction of sin, just feeling bad that we've been found out, if we have. But to turn from our sin, to turn to the Savior, to seek His grace, that we might find His mercy in time of need. That these, these characteristics of the sluggard would not be things that mark us in our lives. Help us to be like our Lord Jesus Christ, who went about doing good, who never wasted a moment of time, but was busy about the work to which his Father had called him, so that he could say, with the shadow of the cross cast upon him, I have finished the work that thou hast called me to do. Make us to serve with our eyes upon him, that he would give us grace to do all that we do, for his glory. Whatever we put our hand to do, we would do it with all of our might. So hear us as we pray these things, O God. Speak to our hearts individually according to our several needs and begin a work or further it in the works in the hearts of others that we might be busy about the duties that you called us to as those who are created in the image of an active God. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.